Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Richmond, Virginia, it's time for Richmond Business Radio. Now, here's your host. We can't hear another episode of Richmond Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Andy Hasselwander, and he is with MarketBridge. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about MarketBridge. How are you serving folks? So MarketBridge is a marketing analytics consultancy. We're based in Bethesda, Maryland, so just an hour, hour and a half north of Richmond. Um, we work with Fortune 500 companies in the U.S. and internationally to uh, help them understand how effective or ineffective marketing and promotions are to their acquisition efforts, their existing customer efforts, taking a look at that by channel, for example, how upper funnel advertising is contributing versus demand generation or digital marketing type type things. And we do we do that in a very scientific way. Uh, we're open code, so our clients get all the code that we that we write to uh, analyze their data. Um, and we're you know we're extremely scientific. So basically, everything we're doing is is uh, provable and and reproducible. That's that's sort of what we do in a nutshell. Well, um, how do you um, help the clients that are maybe overwhelmed by the amount of data that, first of all, that exists and how to prioritize that just because something can be measured, is it worth measuring? How do you help them kind of navigate those waters to identify the priorities in terms of the metrics that matter? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for the last 20 years, marketers have been, there's, there's certainly been an imperative to measure uh, effectiveness. Marketing, I, th- I think before maybe 2000, got a bit of a pass in terms of measurement. The, uh, you know, the accounting functions, the financial functions might not have been as, as worried uh, about what marketing specifically was doing. And then I think in the last 20 years, as direct marketing and digital data just got bigger and, and you know, more... Uh, more easy to to gather, uh, you know, it became really important for CMOs, chief marketing officers to say, hey, this is what we're driving. The unintended consequence of that has been for channels that don't have as much data or for channels that take longer to work, like upper funnel television advertising or now over the top video advertising, those channels might get short shrift because, it's just easier to say, you know, hey, we have these, you know, digital channels, these direct channels where I can actually measure a click and I can say, hey, that click cost me $30 or $40, whereas advertising might, might not be. So what we try to do is we try to help clients put some of those tougher to measure channels on an equal footing because they actually do work differently. And it's really important to understand the value that, that they drive. That's, I think that's one of the most important things that we help with. Um, if that makes any sense. Now, what about kind of the the saying that maybe there's some art and science when it comes to these creative arts? And, yeah, well, you know, yeah. like just because you want to measure or you can measure something like you can't, it's difficult to measure creativity or mm-hmm. or that. Why is that one ad, you know, outperforming this other ad? Can you scientifically tell me? the 14 reasons why this ad is a successful ad and the, an ad that yeah. looks and it looks similar to me or it sounds similar, yeah. but it is underperforming. So Daniel Kahneman is a you know, very famous economist and psychologist. He wrote a, a book 
uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And in that book, he posited that the human brain kind of works in two ways. The first way is it thinks uh, slowly and through, you know, rational decisions, which he called system two thinking. And then, and then the, the system one, the, the quick decision-making is more primitive. What's interesting about the system one thinking that we find, you know, that is the, the more emotional thinking. That's really what advertising, good creative advertising does. You know, it's, it's memorable. Um, it activates emotions. It's not necessarily pushing the viewer or the, the clicker to sort of do math in their head. It, you're really trying to, to build an attitude. And that, you know, good creative, good upper funnel creative or creative that's designed to change minds over time does a really good job on that system one uh, mechanism. And, you know, aspects of that, I mean, you know, there, there's all kinds of ways advertising can be effective. I mean, it can be memorable. Uh, memorability is really important. You know, this is why, you know, for years and years and years, jingles have been so important. Visual ad, visual cues are really important. Mnemonics are really important. Um, the reason celebrities or, you know, spokes animals, like you're seeing a lot of in property and casualty insurance, whether those be geckos or emus or whatever, those sort of create those, those memorable pieces. So yeah, there's ways to, to sort of scientifically understand how that mechanism's working, but there's, you're never going to be able to, you know, take away just sort of scientifically create perfect advertising. You know, there's always going to be the role for the, for creatives. And what you can do is you can certainly say, you know, some of these upper funnel ads are more memorable. They do a better job activating the system one side. And we can see that that mechanism work against measured attitudes over the course of months or years. And you see brands that understand this do it very effectively. Um, Consumer packaged good companies like Coca-Cola, I've uh, been doing this for for decades. I think property and casualty insurance companies that I mentioned earlier uh, have figured this out now for you know a, a couple decades. Uh, retail banks, I think, are doing a good job, and you're seeing those scientific pieces. I th- I think come through in some of the creative that you see upper funnel. But does that? I I, I don't know. I think luckily, like, if you take a Coca Cola, they don't really create. Um, brands they buy existing brands that they're out there there's a million brands going out there doing that what they do taking shots being crazy coca-cola waits for some of them to be successful then buys a stake in them and then eventually takes them over and then in a lot of cases they fail once they've got in the hands i I mean that's their r&d uh, program. Yeah, I mean, well, Coke is, you know, I mean, that's their certainly their line extension strategy. I'm, I'm more talking about the core brand, right? You know, which, which is, which is the brands that are successful, and how you make sure that, you know, when you walk into a, you know, when a consumer walks into a grocery store, a consumer walks into a convenience store, that they, they don't think about it, right? They just, they just choose, and that is, that is a, a huge piece of what they're doing. And so when they're running their media mix modeling, they, they're very intentional on making sure that their share of voice and their core attitudes are doing what they need to do to drive all the way down to retail. I think for the line extension piece, you're right. I mean, you know, they, they're definitely buying brands and not all those brands are going to succeed. And they're only going to invest marketing against those brands where they think they have a decent shot of, 
uh, you know, of, of, of getting shelf space and, and you know, and of, of activating the shopper marketing side. But are but they, think, are they succeeding yeah. because of their marketing? Or are they succeeding because of their distribution? Well, both. I mean, distribution is a part of marketing, you know, that, I mean, upper funnel advertising is probably the beginning of the funnel and distribution is the end. You know, you, you, you have to have, you know, ultimately if a, if a consumer has an attitude, that attitude is only going to be activated if, when they get to all the points of distribution, they can activate, you know, that that's going to be there. So, I mean, that, you know, if you had, to, if you had to say to Coke, you know, um, you know, what's more important shopper marketing distribution or, or advertising, they would just say both because they're both absolutely critical. And, you know, but one, one sort of top of funnel and the others bottom of funnel, but is the, any, key is, the key is understanding how those are you know valued ultimately now, but can any of those things that these mega uh, enterprises can um can use can they trickle down to a small to mid-sized firm that doesn't have the resources or the distribution i I think i think what you're seeing with you know right now with with on the consumer side you know if we're talking about consumers and there's there's all these other industries as well is i think it's become much easier for upstarts to to enter and you know that's for two reasons you know going back to marketing and distribution from a marketing perspective, it's much easier to put together long tail marketing strategies. Uh, you know, I think Instagram and, and a lot of digital media, a lot of digital video has made that far more you know easy to do, and actually has made it actually more difficult for large large firms to compete because you can no longer just buy huge pieces of viewership on broadcast. You have to actually play a little bit of small ball, which can be hard for for larger firms. So that's made it easier. And then I think the other thing from a distribution perspective, obviously, is, you know, e-commerce has made things much, much easier. But, you know, that gets back to for small firms, you know, they need they need to think the same way big firms do about, you know, segmentation, targeting and positioning and the four P's just like, you know, marketing one on one. And segmentation is if, if I'm going to compete and I'm going to win as a small firm, I need to pick a very specific segment. Um, I need to be able to target them very effectively, which I can now do with digital media. And then I need to position myself in a way that is really differentiated from the larger, you know, firms that are out there. And then maybe going back to your previous point, maybe Coca-Cola will pick me up, right? Maybe they'll, maybe their, um, you know, business development team will go out and sort of put an offer out there. But I, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's much easier, I think now for small firms to compete because of those barriers to entry on the upper funnel side, on the advertising side, and on the distribution side have come down so much. Um, but they still have to do it right. So so the fundamentals are still the same. Oh, yeah. So and fundamentals are still the same. So nothing has changed from that standpoint. Now you can measure better and more effectively so you can invest your dollars wiser. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you, you know, marketing has become – marketing and distribution generally has become a much more scientific discipline – because it can be instrumented. I mean, all the money that's gone to marketing technology, if you just look at all the multiples of, you know, software as a service, MarTech firms, you know, Salesforce was kind of the pioneer there, even before that was, was Siebel. But all the money that's gone in there, you know, the reason that's going there is it's for, you know, everything from a small 50-person firm or a 25-person firm to do content marketing all the way up to a gigantic firm trying to create, you know, digital CRM and sort of customer management pathways that are really measurable and, and delay customers. 
So, and, and, you know, and, and that's hard to do, but, but the technology now makes it certainly much, much more measurable than it ever was. Now, what about kind of the ever, there's always friction between sales and marketing. Um, has that, has this uh, influx of data helped, hurt, made it grayer? Well, you know, my, my marketing professor a long time ago, you know, used to say that marketing was, was, you define it simply as the entirety of all of the customer facing or outside facing functions of the firm. And I've always, I've always believed that. And I think sales was simply the most, the highest cost per transaction, most personalized piece of that. And, and I think that holds together logically, but, but obviously that being said, sales has a very, the sales function generally is a very, very different culture than, than marketing. You know, in-person selling is in COVID accelerated this with digital transformation is becoming harder. And what you're seeing, we used to actually say telesales was different or inside sales was different than field sales. Now it's, it's really not. I mean, most, you know, if you look, for example, at Medicare, um, you know, Medicare selling Medicare advantage, most of these agents now, or a lot of these agents are, are selling digitally over the phone, whereas, you know, even three years ago, they would have been across the kitchen table. So it's in a way it's made selling, you know, more digital, more measurable, more data driven. I think sales is always going to be the toughest thing to measure because it ultimately depends on an individual keying in an activity or an individual keying in a disposition. And that's hard to do. I mean, this is, you know, if you talk to anyone who has Salesforce, you know, salesforce.com and they say, what's, what's the biggest challenge? The challenge is data cleanliness. And it's just getting people, for example, to pick the right thing out of a pick list or enter the date a call happened. Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to get better, honestly. I, I, think, it, I think it might. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's, been a, that's been a tough one for a long time. The tension, you know, vis-a-vis the tension between sales and marketing you know, the, ultimately what sales wants for marketing is they want really high quality leads and what marketing wants for sa- from sales is they want good data. And that tension is always going to be there. Um, and, and I think in organizations that have integrated sales and marketing organizations, those tend to, um, those tensions tend to, to work at work themselves out. But where you have, you know, executives running each department who are very different and sort of run them in silos, they can be, that can be tough. So now what does your ideal client look like? Well, for, you know, for market bridge, you know, we, we, as I mentioned, we're primarily focused on fortune 500 space. Um, You know, we typically put together, you know, we work over multiple years with clients building out uh, data science and data infrastructures um, with them uh, and deliver and delivering uh, long run solutions. Eventually our goal is to, is to leave, right? Our bench, our goal is to, teach clients how to build these systems and operate these systems. So we don't have to be there anymore. Um, I would say our, our ideal client inside of, of that kind of company is a company who wants to um, take a scientific approach towards sales and marketing, who wants to have reproducible data stack and reproducible technology stack. In other words, one that we know exactly why things happen um, and, and, and one that wants to have their data science team and their data engineering team, you know, bring, bring these things in house. We're not a software reseller. So we're, we, we work with all the, the MarTech stack, but we're not, 
we sort of intentionally don't choose one or the other partner with one or the other. Uh, we're very agnostic in, in that respect. So I think we can fit into, you know, whether somebody has an Adobe stack or a Salesforce stack or, you know, or Oracle or whatever we can, we can fit in. It's more the ethos of the executives and making sure that they really want to be very scientific in how they do marketing and sales. Now, what are some symptoms that they got a problem? Like, what are some of the things going on? What are some of the things that they're dealing with where they're like, hey, maybe we should be calling these market bridge folks? Yeah. You know, I mean, basically anyone who says, you know, I'm pretty sure that my marketing is, you know, half my marketing is working, but I'm not sure which half that would be a classic one. Um, (laughs) People are still saying that because they were saying that 50 years ago. Yeah, they're they're saying it probably more. And, and but I think going back to the the most classic one we get is um, I know upper funnel or brand is a, is important, but I can't prove it. Um, and you know, or somebody that we might say something like, "Geez, I I really uh, we're spending all this money on promote on promotional paid search." And my CPAs look good, but I think, I think I'm overspending because I think I might be just doing demand capture that would be happening anyway. Those would be the kinds of questions we would get most often from CMOs. Um, another one might be, hey, we're, we're sort of launching a new, we're in, we're in a new product launch mode. And I don't know, I, I don't know how much of my new product launch is, is being driven by marketing and how much would have happened anyway. Um, those kind of hypotheticals tend to get asked. Another one on the data side would be, um, you know, would be, hey, I, I, um, um, I, I, I don't really have a good sense of my marketing P and L. So really, what, you know, P and L, P and L being what I'm getting and what I'm spending for it. I, I don't, I, I don't have a good data stack getting from my source, my source data systems up to that sort of almost accounting or financial reporting view of, of marketing's effectiveness. Those would be some of the things. Can you share a story? Don't name the name of the client, but maybe the problem that they were having that you came in and were able to take their business to a new level, maybe get a result that maybe they didn't even dream possible. Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of one that's, that's fairly recent, I'd say is we had a client who, um, you know, had a good business, the business was was from a market share perspective stagnant or declining. Direct response marketing looked effective. In other words, the the cost per acquisition was was lower than the customer lifetime value, and yet they were declining. And they had a strong, slowly but but still, they had a strong hypothesis that. Uh, you know that 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 all, that they weren't spending enough upper funnel and that they were losing mindshare. And what we were able to do for them is we were able to build a two-stage model where we proved that advertising was um, driving affinity and comprehension and awareness of the product. Sort of those system one attitudes I mentioned earlier. We and we showed mathematically what that relationship looked like. And then secondly, we showed that those those attitudes, those core attitudes were over, you know, the course of months and even a, even a year plus were driving customer acquisition at rates that, you know, they were basically refilling the top of the funnel. And we were able to instrument all that, put that together. And then they were able to change their advertising strategy and sort of turn that 
decline around. And I'm not stating it's not like we're talking about, you know, you go from minus 10% to plus 10, it's more like minus two to plus two. But that understanding that and understanding that, you know, relative market share is, you know, the, the mechanistic link of that to share a voice or the basically the percent of, you know, messaging, upper funnel marketing and that, that we're doing and improving that mathematically, I think is, is really important in this case, you know, help the client a ton. I mean, this was um, ma- major impact on, you know, their ability to sort of tell a compelling story to investors. So that would be a pretty good one. Well, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Yeah, it's www.market-bridge.com. We have a dash in the middle. Apologize for that. That's just somebody sat on the URL when we bought it, but um, uh, www-marketbridge.com and uh, hit contact us and we'd be happy to, uh, to reach out and have a conversation. Well, Andy, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work. We appreciate you. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate it. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Richmond Business Radio.